The book of Jonah is where we began last week. The book of Jonah is where we're going to be for the next several weeks. And as we think about the book of Jonah, as we mentioned last week, the book of Jonah is not a book about a fish or a whale or any kind of aquatic life. It's only mentioned about four times in the book. It's not a book about Nineveh. That's mentioned less than ten times in the book. And it's not even a book about Jonah because the name of Jonah is only mentioned 16 times in the book. Instead, the book of Jonah is a story of God. We mentioned that the book starts with the word and, which says that it is in the midst of all that God is doing and continuing to do, that God continues to use that. God continues to work through His people. And so, as a result, we have that God is continuing His redemptive work in this story. We mentioned that God is mentioned more than any other term in the book, that God is mentioned 38 times in the book of Jonah. In just four chapters, He's mentioned that many times. And so we have in the book of Jonah a story of God. Now the truth is, it's a story of God interacting with a man much like you and me. As we begin this morning, I just want to do a quick review. Most of you were here last week, but some of you may not have been. And as we think about what we learned last week, in the first three verses of Jonah, we learned three important lessons. First of all, we learned... That God still speaks. We talked about if you listen, He will talk. And the truth is that God still speaks, wants to speak, intends to speak, desires for you to listen to Him so that He can speak into your heart and into your life. So God is still in the speaking business. The second thing we learned is that obedience is a choice. That you and I have to make the constant choice to obey God's voice or not to obey God's voice. Now, obedience is not ignorance. It's not not knowing something and not doing it. Obedience is not when you got, you, you've misinterpreted what God has said. Obedience is when you know something and you do the opposite. Now, it's also not pretending you didn't hear. One of the things I'm learning with my children is they've learned... If they say the words, I didn't hear you, Daddy, or at least my older son, that he might get away with it. Eli, do you remember I told you to clean your room? I didn't hear you, Daddy. It's not pretending you didn't hear. It's when you, obedience is when you actually hear, but you do something else. And here's the third thing we learn, that God is relentless in pursuit. And over the course of the book of Jonah, really, those three could be the outline for the rest of the book of Jonah. Now, we're going to have other outlines, but you can almost follow those three points through the whole book. That God speaks, we must choose to obey, and then God is relentless in His pursuit of people, of individuals, of nations, of groups. And so, what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that really, the book of Jonah is characterized by those three things. As we begin our study today, we're going to start with a storm. Now, earlier this week, we were in the office when suddenly on the uh, computers and on the radio, we heard that there was a tornado watch out, right? There was some severe weather that came through parts of this country, came through parts of, of this area of the world. 
and there was a tornado watch out. And one of the things that I have come to realize is when you have been in a tornado, tornado watches and warnings mean something different than when you haven't been in a tornado. Amen? I know this area of the country has some history with that. And I mentioned on Wednesday night that I have been a part of tornadoes myself. I grew up in West Tennessee and not far from where one touched down recently this past week. And I remember as about a five-year-old boy in a house on a... I told you I grew up in Dyersburg. Really the first part of my life was spent in this metropolis called Rowellen. Anybody ever been to Rowellen, Tennessee? Boy, you are missing out. Rowellen's not really near Frog Jump, but it's around it somewhere. And I grew up in a little place called Rowellen on a, on, a, on a street called Rose Drive. And I remember being five or six years old and being in Rose Drive house and laying in my bed one night when my mom picks me up out of the bed and throws me into the hall. And says, cover up, there's a tornado coming. It was one of those things, I think the tornado had already passed because that was long before the days of 24-hour news or, you know, TVs being on. That was uh, several years ago and you just, they were awakened by it. And what I remember about that experience is that I was in the hall, mom was in the hall, we were gathered together. My brother did not wake up and so he was in his bed and my dad was doing what apparently all dads have to do during severe weather. He was standing at the window looking outside. Right? Those are one of those little manly duties they don't teach you about in class that you just learn as you grow up. I find myself now, whenever severe weather is coming, I'm the one that stays up because I can obviously do something about it if it's coming. <laughs> but I also remember the sounds. The tornado barely missed our house. It took off our antenna. It flipped our shed into the neighbor's yard. But about two or three houses down, it took a roof off. Apparently, we were right as the tornado was coming down and then bouncing up. From that point on, whenever I hear tornado, I think differently. And the truth is that storms, whether they are real or different, mean different things to different people based on whether you've been through them or not. And while physical storms is what they give warnings about on the news. The truth is most of us will deal much more with relational, emotional, financial storms on a regular basis. And in the book of Jonah, after the first three verses, what we see is that a storm comes to play a very significant role in the life of the prophet. In Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, I think this is interesting, had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this tragedy or calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they said, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them. 
The sea was getting rougher, so they asked him, what should we do? And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Perhaps there's not a more controversial verse in all of Scripture than verse 17. We'll get there in a minute. I think we actually have four points today. It's not a normal sermon. It's not three points. we got four. And four things I want you to notice this morning as we begin our discussion or continue our discussion in Jonah is the first thing that we see in this passage that I've just read is that you and I cannot run away from God. We can't do it. Now, I will tell you this. It's not from a lack of trying. People try to run away from God all the time. You may be trying to run away from God right now. You may be calling it that. You may be thinking of it as that. But the truth is, there are many of you in this room who God has given specific instructions to, that God has told you how to live, and you are going in the opposite direction. And whatever you call it, disobedience, not doing what God has called you, is trying to run away from God. And part of that is, it is just built into who we are. Scripture teaches we have this thing called original sin. Now, that word isn't really used, but the idea is that because of Adam's sin, we all have this innate desire to sin. We all want to do opposite of what we know we should. I was thinking about this week when I read an account of a hotel that was put up in Galveston, Texas. Anybody ever been to Galveston, Texas? Down on the coast, right? And they built this hotel, and they built part of the foundation of this hotel into the ocean. It was going to be one of these high-rise hotels, fancy places, where they could build it up, and people could go and stay and look out on the ocean and be just a, a great thing. Or I guess it would be the, the gulf. And what they noticed is that they began to talk in some discussions about what they needed to do to protect all the, uh, the, the hotel and what they needed to do to, to help people to understand what they could and could not do. And one of the guys in a meeting says... What would happen if people started fishing out the hotel windows? I mean, we're built right on the water. What would that, well, that would be tragic. You know what we need to do? We need to make sure people don't fish out the windows. Let's put up signs that say, no fishing from hotel windows. So they did. They put signs up everywhere. They put signs in some of the rooms. They put signs out in the halls. And one of the things that they started noticing early on is the biggest complaints they got were people that were sitting in the dining room when fish would slap against the window. Other residents were talking about sitting out on their balcony when suddenly a line would drop in front of them. And as they began to talk and describe, they said, what in the world? We've got the signs up. Somebody said, what if you took the signs down? So they did. And they didn't receive a complaint about fishing for over a year. They were interviewing one of the guys, and he said, I guess it was when we put it up there, it was just too tempting for people to go against what the sign said. Now, you know what makes that kind of interesting and funny somewhat? Is that we all recognize it in our own lives. You ever been around something and you hear somebody say, don't do this, and the first thing you want to do is to do it? 
Anybody been there? If you're not shaking your head, yes, you're lying. All right, I'm just going to tell you right now. Yes, you have. Any of you husbands ever had your wife suggest that you do something? And the first thing you think is, I don't want to do that for sure. Now, if she hadn't asked me, I'd been glad to do it. But because she asked me, I'm not going to do it. We are, by nature, people that like to rebel. And so what you have in this passage is Jonah tries every way he knows to rebel. Look at verse 3 again. I know we didn't read that as part of our thing, but I want you to look at how hard he worked. I see eight words, eight action words in one verse. It says in Scripture that he ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship. He paid the fare. He went aboard. He sailed for Tarshish all to flee from the Lord. Those are eight action words that Jonah did. Let me tell you this. If you're going to try to run from God, it will be an exhausting enterprise. You know how I know he was exhausted? What did he do when he got on the ship? He went to bed. Into a deep sleep. Not one of those light sleeps. Not one of those things that's kind of surface level. He went into a deep sleep. But look what happens in Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. Where we see for sure that we cannot run from God. Jonah 1 verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Now if you look at that in the original language, the actual word that is there, the actual word that you find is the word hurled. That the Lord hurled a great wind onto the sea. Now when I think about this idea of the Lord hurling a storm, I get a picture of God in heaven seeing what is happening, knowing where Jonah is, winding up like he's throwing a pitch and hurling it down to the boat. For Christmas, one of the gifts that our household received was a Nintendo Wii. If you don't have a Wii yet, you need to join the revolution. Alright? We took it to my parents' house. We took it to my, my uh, in-laws' house. We stayed. I hadn't stayed up till midnight uh, at, at, you know, at a party or anything in a long time. I stayed up with Susan's parents and her brothers and our in-laws playing the Wii till 12.30 at night. Just a great time. But this is one of the things I found. We got to my parents' house and my brother and I got engaged in a baseball game on the Wii. Now, if you don't know about the Wii, it's a video game system where you actually have to try to do what you want the person on the screen to do. So if you're playing baseball, you have to swing a bat, you have to throw and all that. My brother and I were locked in an epic struggle. The score was 0-0 zero to zero going into the top of the third, and on the Wii you only play three innings. It's a short game because otherwise most people would have heart attacks and fall out. And in the top of the third, up to the plate on my team walks this gray-haired lady with glasses. And my brother hangs a curveball, and I knocked it 424 feet into the stands. The score is now one to nothing. And while there were people all over the country tuned into what was happening, or at least we played like we thought there were, we went to the bottom of the inning, and it was my turn to pitch. And I'll tell you right now, I, I never pitched when I played baseball. I was a third baseman, second baseman. I pitched one game. A guy came up to me afterwards, told me he had the best changeup he'd ever seen in his life. The problem is I was throwing fastballs. I didn't think I was a very good pitcher. And my brother sitting next to me, 
And I did a full wind-up. And I think I threw my shoulder out on the first pitch. I threw that ball as hard as I could. Well, it wasn't a ball. It was a controller. But you get the idea. And it set up on the screen 45 miles an hour, which really made me mad because I threw it harder than that. But what I remembered about that moment was how that I got so involved in the game that I hurled the baseball. I just got so into it that with everything I had, I reared back and I hurled the baseball. And what we get in this picture of Scripture is not that God is angry, but that God wants to send a message. And what He does is He literally hurls the storm onto the sea. Let me tell you this about the times in your life when you feel like that there may be a storm coming. Let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, we need to realize that sometimes the storms in our lives are sent. Sometimes the storms in our lives are sent. Now that doesn't account for all the storms. I'm not saying that every storm that you encounter, every financial crisis, every marital crisis, every relationship crisis, I'm not saying that every physical illness, every physical crisis that you have is something that was sent. But the reality is there are times in our lives when we look around and we wonder why the world is collapsing around us and we look for every possible explanation except for the fact that we may be disobedient to God Almighty. We might be trying to run away from Him and the way that He is going to capture our attention is through the storms He sends. Now you say, wait a minute, that sure doesn't sound loving. Wait a minute, Pastor. That doesn't sound like the gracious, merciful God. Here's the truth. If I am running against what God has said, if I'm doing what God commands me not to do, then the most gracious and loving thing He can do is to do whatever it takes to get me back onto His track. And what happens in our lives is we go out and we start to live our lives and we try to run from God in whatever it is, whatever area of life it may be. And then storms come and we think, well, it's just circumstance. It's just this. Or we blame the devil sometimes when it's not the devil's fault, it's our own fault because we're following a path that is not what God intended. And what Jonah found out real quickly is you can't outrun God and sometimes God will send storms to wake you up. In fact, one commentator this week said that the same God who calms the storms in the life of the submissive ones creates the storm in the life of the rebellious one. The same God who steals the storms in the life of the submissive ones creates the storms in the life of the rebellious one. There is no doubt at all from this passage of Scripture that the one responsible for the storm in the sea that day was God Almighty. And I want you to see, it wasn't just a normal storm. It wasn't a little thunder boomer. It wasn't one that came and went. It tells us in Scripture that it arose that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5 says, All the sailors were afraid. I think it's interesting in Scripture, whenever they point that out, that sailors are afraid on the water, it means something strange is happening. And each cried out to his own God. They even threw the cargo into the sea. I think that's interesting because what's going to happen to them if they get where they're supposed to go and they don't have their cargo? They might lose their jobs, not good stuff. 
It's almost like they said, I'd rather be alive without a job than have a job and be dead. Right? They just get rid of it. And they start looking for any explanation. What in the world is happening? Why in the world is this storm happening? Say they lived in a different time than we did. And it's not necessarily a bad thing that they did, but they lived in a time when they looked for explanations in the spiritual realm more than they looked for explanations on Doppler. Right? They didn't look for cold fronts and warm fronts. They didn't say to themselves, I wonder when the front's going to pass through. I wonder if it's going to be cold enough, warm enough. They didn't have seven-day, ten-day forecast. When things began to happen in their lives, they looked for explanations. And what they found here is, in this particular instance, the very reason that they were in the midst of the storm was that God had created it. Now the first thing you see in this passage of Scripture is that you can't outrun God. Jonah thought he was going to get away. He thought he was going to go as far away from God as he could. In their day and time, some people believe that if you got out of his territory, that God wouldn't follow you. But Jonah would learn, and Jonah understands very quickly, that there is no way that you can outrun God. And I will tell you this, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into it, no matter how exhausted you get, if you try to run from God and what He calls on your life, you will not succeed in getting away. At the top of your handout, the title of this sermon says that you are running against the wind. And the truth is that as hard as you go, you're getting pushed back every step of the way. And the reason is, not only because God can't be run away from, but the second reason is because sin is serious. One of the lessons that we learn from this passage, and there's no particular verse that says it, but the whole passage teaches that the reason that all this is happening is because Jonah was disobedient. Now you can call that whatever you want to. You can call that missing the mark. You can call that not doing what he's supposed to. You can talk that a mistake in judgment. You can call that a lapse in, in judgment, a, an error, a mistake. You can call it whatever you want to. But in Scripture it says, when you willfully disobey God, then you are committing sin. Now those of you that have been here with me through this short journey we've been together know that I don't, I don't talk about the hard stuff of the faith a whole lot. I like to talk about the optimistic God that we have, the, the love that God has for us. But the truth is, if you don't understand the seriousness of the sin that we find ourselves in, then all that good news isn't really good news. And what happens in this passage is Jonah gets caught up in all this stuff and suddenly you've got all these things happening and he begins to realize that sin is serious business. And I want you to notice just real quickly three things that sin leads to in our lives. First of all, it leads to a broken relationship with God. Now let me just say, I'm not suggesting here if you're a follower of Jesus and you've accepted Him as your Savior and you begin to sin or you commit a sin, that, that that relationship is broken in the sense that you no longer are a follower of His or a child of His. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean there is the fellowship is broken. Now sometimes that happens quickly. We, we sin immediately and we realize that the relationship we had with God is not as close as it once was. Sometimes that happens over a long time. It's like a story I may have told you. It's like the old couple that was driving down the road. They passed a young couple. They were both driving pickup trucks. And as the old couple passed the young couple, the young couple was sitting right next to each other. Arm around each other. 
And the older wife says to her older husband, Don't you remember when you used to be like that? Whatever happened to us? And he looked at her and said, I ain't the one that moved. Right? The truth is that sometimes in our relationship with God, it's an instantaneous thing. Sometimes it is we let little sins just creep in little by little. And before you know it, we're on the other side of the truck and we're looking at God saying, what happened, God? And we've just allowed sin to move us farther away from Him. The truth is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then the broken relationship, there is a serious break in fellowship. It's not just a little thing, but that sin is such a serious thing that it can keep you out of heaven for all eternity. Until you come to the point where you ask Jesus to forgive you. Sin is serious because it calls a break with God. I, I think it's interesting here that whenever we see Jonah... Whenever we see Jonah in this story, we don't see Jonah petitioning God directly. Do you notice that? We have the sailors come and say, what's going on, Jonah? Jonah says, it's me. It's my problem. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of God. He made the sea. He made the land. It's my fault. They said, what have you done? And notice he doesn't even, he just says, get rid of me. He won't even at that moment cry out to God. I mean, it tells us that all the sailors are crying out to their God. It tells us that the captain goes down and wakes him up and says, cry out to your God. But when he gets to the point where he finally admits what's going on, he says, just throw me into the sea. I'm a hopeless case. And he doesn't cry out to his God. That's because he knows that relationship is not what it was. And when you get to the point in your life when you don't even want to pray, when you don't even want to see them, when you don't even want to think about God, then that's when you know that relationship is really strained. Here's a second thing. Not only is it called broken relationship with God, sin causes broken relationships with others. We don't know the arrangement that Jonah made with these sailors when he got on there. We can tell that they threw all their cargo overboard. They probably weren't a passenger ship. It probably was a cargo ship. And it tells us that he had already told them that he was running from the Lord. And he may have even bragged about that. Hey, man, I need to get out here as quickly as possible. I'm running away from my Lord, and I'm going to get away real quickly. It doesn't tell us what happened. But all we know is that because of what Jonah did, the sailors experienced fear. Let me just say to you something real plainly that we don't talk about a lot in our culture, especially in America today, and that is your sin affects us. My sin affects us. We live in a private world. Everybody can go home, close their doors, they can get in their own rooms, they can do whatever they want to, and they say, it's just my sin, it doesn't affect anybody else. I'm not hurting anybody, not doing anything to anybody, it's just my sin. Here's the truth, your sin affects us. Scripture teaches that we are the body of Christ, that we are each one individually part of a greater thing, and that if one of us has a problem, then we all have a problem. Anybody ever stumped your little toe? This means yes, me no. Anybody ever stumped your little toe? When I get up in the middle of the night sometimes, my whole goal is not to wake anybody else up. So I don't turn on any lights. It's amazing the things that will jump out at you in the night. 
Eli has the habit of when something hits him or he hits something, he'll say to me, Daddy, that table hit me. And I believe that sometimes tables do hit my little toe in the middle of the night. Did you ever had a little toe get hit? You know it affects the whole body. You ever get something in your eye? Ever get something under your fingernail? Ever pull back a fingernail? I know it's pleasant talk here. Exciting talk. You ever get a splinter? You ever get a cold in your nose and that's it? See, Scripture teaches that whenever one of us has sinned in our life, it's like a part of our body has an infection. And when you're living in that, then you affect everybody else. Relationships with others. Here's another thing. A lot of times our sin is not just between us and God, but especially when it's between us and other people, it causes a break in relationship. Here's a third thing. Sin is serious because it leads to a broken relationship with yourself. Now what in the world do I mean by that? I mean you're no longer who you intend to be. I mentioned Jonah didn't even call out to God. All he wants to do is go to bed. Here is this prophet of the Lord who is called by God to proclaim the word of the Lord to the people of God. And he gets in this situation where he disobeys God. And the first thing he wants to do is to get as far away as he can and just go to bed so he can sleep it off. So he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. So he doesn't have to think about it anymore. And suddenly there is an internal conflict in his mind because of his disobedience with the Lord. Some of you come to church on a regular basis and there comes a point in the service where you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Where you feel like, oh, I need to do something about that. I need to do something about that. And sometimes on Sunday mornings when God begins to speak to you about coming to church, you're a little hesitant. Well, I don't know that I want to go back because you're worried that that feeling's going to come back, that that moment's going to come back, that if you just avoid it, it'll go away eventually. Let me tell you this. God is constant in His pursuit. And one of the reasons that we are in conflict with ourselves when we sin is because God's not going to let us stay there. And that feeling is not going to go away. That conviction is not going to go away until you come to a point where you finally admit what is happening. Which is the third point this morning. Not only is sin serious, not only do we need to understand we can't outrun God, but the third thing is sometimes God requires public confession. Now let me just be real clear. I'm not talking about everybody that has any sin coming down this front this morning and telling everybody what's going on. But there are times in our lives when God calls us to do more than just to sit in the comfort of our own seat and say, God, in a prayer, I ask you to forgive me. I've been wrong. There are times when our actions require us to go to other people, when they require us to say things to other people. Here's the truth. Sometimes you wrong somebody in this fellowship, and if you may ask God for forgiveness, but that forgiveness needs to come after you've asked the other person for forgiveness. Look what happens. They get all the sailors get all upset. What in the world's happening, Jonah? Where are you going? What's going on? And he tells them where he's from, and they're terrified. And they, it says that right immediately they don't do anything. It just gets rougher and rougher. And so they say, what are you going to do? And notice what happens in verse 12. Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And I'll just tell you real quickly. He doesn't cry out to God in that moment. He doesn't cry out to forgiveness in that moment. But I'll tell you this right now. One thing that I see in the life of Jonah in verse 12. That's early on in this book is that he knows how to admit when it's his fault. 
And we live in a world where people don't know how to do that anymore. Most of the time when you hear public confessions or you go to someone to try to mend a relationship, you'll say something like this, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake, I I was wrong in this case, but... And then you start listing the things they did. Part of my Ph.D. studies is, is reading books that I probably would have never read. And there was a, a book that was assigned to us for a class this coming semester called Making Peace that I read this week. And the book Making Peace talks about conflict in the church specifically. And it tells the story of a lady who stood up during a sermon one day and just said, I don't agree with the direction you're taking this church, and I don't think I can follow it, and that's what God has told me. And she walked out. But she kept coming. And after about seven months, eight months, the church said something's got to be done about this. And they called in this, this group of people that comes in and helps with church conflict. And they talked with her one-on-one. And, and after long discussion and prayer time, she came to a place where she was broken. And she said, I want to confess to the church that I was wrong in doing that. And so they set up the time on Sunday morning, and the night before, this group met with her to make sure the confession was a confession. And they met through, and they had her write out what she was going to say. And she talked about what she had done wrong. And then she said, but I want us to understand what God has done in our church through this process. And the guy that's writing the book was on that council that was advising her, and he said, that's not a confession. Anytime you try to add to the simple fact of, I've done wrong, it's my fault, it's not a confession. It's an excuse. And what happens in Jonah's life is he says, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Let me tell you three things that happens when you confess something and you get it out in the open. First of all, it's God glorifying. It's God glorifying. I want you to notice what happens to the sailors. When the ship finally gets done, when everything's done, what do they do? When they get Jonah out of the boat and the storm kind of calms down, what do they do? They worship, right? Who do they worship? Yahweh. It's not their God. That wasn't the God they were calling out to. That's not the God they were following. But in seeing what God's power has shown, in hearing what God's servant had said, they suddenly realize we need to worship this guy. Now, we, we understand. It's the Old Testament. That's not a full understanding of Christ. I'm not saying that they were followers of God after that. All I know is in that moment, God's name was lifted high after Jonah's public confession. Here's the second thing. It's character forming. Let me tell you what I believe about this passage of Scripture, and this isn't anything I found in a commentary somewhere, so this is my own belief. I believe that God started redeeming Jonah with his public confession. I believe that the turning point of this book is not the verse about the fish. The turning point of this book is finally where Jonah says, I have done wrong, and it's because of me that you're in this mess. It's my fault. And I believe that some of you in this room are very close to a turning point in your life. To a place where God can use you beyond what you can ask or imagine. It is very close to a turning point in your walk with Jesus. And the one thing standing between you and that turning point is coming to the time when you say, It's my fault. It's my problem. I'm sorry. 
It's character forming. If any of you here have actually made a public or... When I say public, I don't mean in front of the whole church. I mean just with the people that you've wronged. If you've ever gone to them and said, it is a humbling experience. But let me tell you this. When I've done it, it has been humbling, but I'll always come out of it closer in my walk with Jesus than I was before. It's God-glorifying. It's character-forming. And here's the third thing. It's community-building. I think it's interesting that these guys don't want to throw him overboard, right? I mean, they don't want to. What's interesting to me is the guys that are acting the most Christ-like, if you will, the more godly in this instance, are these old sailors. I don't know if they were old, but I just like to think they were. But what I know is they say, listen, listen, we can't can't do that. We can't throw you out there. Then your blood will be in our hands. We'll be murdered. We can't do that. And what we see in this passage is Jonah, who's running away from a group of people because he doesn't want to be associated with them, finds himself in a group of people that want to love him with all they can. Now, I know they're sailors, and, 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 and to think of them in the concept of love is a, is a strange thing, but what you see here is a loving attitude toward a repentant sinner. That's called mercy. They'd already thrown the cargo overboard. They didn't care about it, but they cared about Jonah. Here's the last thing we learned today. Not only is that we cannot run away from God, that sin is serious, and that public confession is sometimes required, here's the last thing we see today. That even in judgment we see God's mercy. What I'm about to say, I don't know that you've ever thought of it this way. You may be way ahead of me on it. But but in most parts you don't think of the story of Jonah in this way. But the truth is, the sending of the whale or the big fish or whatever it was was an act of mercy on the part of God. Now think about this. Jonah had been thrown into the open sea. Probably the Mediterranean Sea. We don't know how far out he was, but here's the truth. If he's very far out, he's not going to make it swimming back, right? And so while he's thrown into the sea fully prepared to die because of his sin. Fully prepared to die because of what he's done. It says in verse 17, but the Lord provided. You know what verse that reminds me of? I'm reading through the Old Testament. I think it reminds me of the verse where Abraham and Isaac go up and they're going to sacrifice him. And he says, where's the lamb? Where's the ram? What are we going to, what are we going to use, Dad? And he says, don't worry, the Lord will provide. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if I was Jonah, and I had my choice of ways God could provide, I don't know that being swallowed by a fish would be number one. Right? And to be honest with you, when you get to that point where God is going to provide for you, don't expect Him to provide the way you want Him to provide. But He will provide. And it says that he provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And I'll be honest with you. I said I don't ever want to... I wouldn't want that to be the way God provided for me. But 
Do you ever find yourself wondering, what did he do? Right? I mean, I know the VeggieTales version's got people singing all over the place. They got people talking to him, vegetables all around. It's an amazing thing. I don't believe that's what was going on. Imagine it was a dark place. And for three days and for three nights he's there. And while we'll talk next week about the prayer he offers and part of what he did, I'm going to tell you one of the first things he probably did is he thanked God for God's mercy in saving his life. God provided a non-modern submarine to take him where he needed to go. Here's the truth in our lives. Even in a story of great judgment that we're going to continue to see, always, always, there's a sliver of mercy. Here's a question for you this morning. Are you trying to run from God? Maybe not in a big way. Maybe not in a huge way. Maybe, I mean, you're here this morning, so maybe you're here seeking God, looking for Him. And so not in big ways you're running from Him. But in real ways, you're trying to distance yourself from Him. You're trying to get away from Him. You're trying to do things without Him. You're trying to live your life in the way you want to live your life, not in the way He's called you to live. And as a result, you've been running against the wind. And even this morning, you realize that your sin is something very serious and you're trying to figure out how to get through it. And maybe this morning, God's calling you to confess. Let me tell you this. If God's asking you this morning in the privacy of where you are or to go to individuals and tell them something's going on, if God's telling you to do that, you need to obey. And I will tell you this, it will be the most freeing thing you can imagine when you follow God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been running from God your whole life. You've never come to a place where you've accepted Him as your Savior. And this morning is the time for you to come to Him. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see in verses two, in chapters 2, 3, and 4 that God is really a God of a second chance. But for some of you, you need your first chance from God today. You need to come to Him because you've never had that relationship and this morning is the time to do that. For some of you in this room, you need your 4,228th chance. And I'm glad that God doesn't stop it too. Amen? And this morning as we enter a time of invitation, I just would ask you to search your own heart and ask God what He intends to do. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, Lord, we thank You for this day and we thank You for the truths that are in this verse of Scripture. These verses that we've had that have talked to us, Lord, about the fact that, that our sin is a serious thing. That, Lord, that you realize that sin is not something that you can just tolerate or put up with, but that sin is very serious in our lives. And, Lord, this morning as we're gathered here, Lord, I admit in the midst of these people that sin is tough. Lord, that we all fall in many ways. And Scripture even teaches us that, Lord, we all fall short of Your glory. And this morning we come and we say we are a people who are sinful. In the words of Isaiah, Lord, I say that I am a sinful person and I live among a people who are sinful. And Lord, while our sins may not be the same, our state is. And this morning, Lord, we just pray that we will come to a place where we accept Your forgiveness, that we confess our wrongdoing. And Lord... For those that have never done that, this would be a day of salvation. Lord, for those of us in this room that are followers of You, Lord, it would be a day of renewal. Lord, we pray that You would change our hearts this morning.
Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to live for you completely. We want our lives to be that song that Anna sang about, Lord, that, that just declares your glory, that's unfinished in its ending. But Lord, we know that oftentimes what keeps us from that are the things in our lives that are not pleasing to you. And so this morning, Lord, we end as we talked about in the middle of the service. Lord, we ask you to search us, to know us, to try us, and to show us those things we need to get right. And then, Lord, give us the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, I pray.